Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hey, what's up, Blues fans? What you're about to listen to on episode 8 of the Blue Note podcast brought to you by the Believe Network is my co-host Mike Meyer doing a solo interview with Ryan Smith, the voice of the Springfield Thunderbirds. They talk about the Thunderbirds' current American Hockey League playoff run as they're in the conference finals and all of that stuff. I will be back with Mike for episode number 9. Hope you enjoy this interview, and let's send it over now to Mike with Ryan Smith. All right, so welcome to the Blue Note podcast, your one-stop shop for all things blues. It's Wednesday. We're officially here in June with episode number eight, the Barkley Plager episode. I don't think you can go with anybody else here other than Mr. Barkley Plager for episode number eight. I'm coming to you here today with a very special edition here of our podcast, joined by Ryan Smith, play-by-play announcer here for the Springfield Thunderbirds to discuss some AHL hockey here today. Ryan, how's it going? Well, Mike, it's... uh... Obviously going pretty darn well. Anytime you're in the conference finals without losing the game yet in the postseason, yeah. uh, actually good's probably the understatement of the uh, decade here. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely here. So let's be able to get into this here shortly. But before we do get into it, listeners, subscribers, everybody, I just want to be able to thank you guys here for all of this. Uh, just as a quick reminder, hit the subscribe button, the little plus button here at the top, whatever that you guys can be able to do. Don't miss a single show here. If you love what we're doing, Give us a five-star rating here. would absolutely love your rating. Um, leave us a comment. Get involved with the conversation here over on Twitter at TBN Pod. Share the podcast here on social media with other Blues and Thunderbirds fans so that they can be able to find us here as well. So, Ryan, let's get into it. Happy to have you here again here on the podcast. The Thunderbirds, man, they are just dominating here right now. So, I'm sure life in the, uh, the arena here is pretty good. Yeah, uh, it's certainly hard to top what the playoffs have brought so far. Uh, yeah. You look at the you look at the first two series, and it's just been uh, nonstop offensive domination, nonstop big performances from goaltenders. Uh, you never know who's going to be the hero from one night to the next. Yeah, uh, it's just no matter what way you look at the game, there is just there's something new that leaves you amazed after just about every single game that the T-Birds have played. Yeah. Yeah. They're looking good here. So for some fans who may not know much about the Thunderbirds, they really haven't been around in the AHL for very long since uh, 2016-17. And they finished near the bottom of the Atlantic division in their entire team's history. So just looking over the franchise's record here right now, they finished sixth in their first season seventh then two years in a row then of course you know 2019 finishing fifth here during the shortened COVID season 2020-21 season canceled due to COVID here as well now this season second second in the Atlantic division swept both of their first two opponents I mean like what what do you think the biggest difference is this year I mean has the change from the pure or the uh the Florida Panthers affiliation to the Blues affiliation really made that big of a difference it sure seems like it has, and yeah. I don't think it was. Uh, I don't think it's entirely that because certainly the Florida organization had a great year this year as well, uh, doing some tag team duties with uh, Charlotte along with the Seattle Kraken. They kind of had a dual affiliation situation yeah. for this year, so 
Um, I think it's unfair to necessarily say that uh, Florida was dragging the T-Birds down. I don't think that's a completely fair assessment, but I think what you can say is the St. Louis Blues from the moment they uh, joined in as the uh, NHL affiliation with us in Springfield, Kevin McDonald, the GM for the T-Birds, who is also uh, who also serves on Doug Armstrong's staff with St. Louis. Uh, he's a New England guy. He's from mm-hmm. Massachusetts. He's from the Boston area. Uh, you could tell he has a passion for winning at the American Hockey League level. And he and the Blues organization, rightfully so, uh, see the American Hockey League as a way to get guys to not just learn how to develop their own individual skills, but learn how to win. And yeah. I think more and more what you're seeing in the AHL, NHL, the teams that have a really good NHL, AHL uh, bridge, so to speak, and Tampa Bay, Syracuse immediately comes to mind. There's a couple of others, Chicago and Carolina right now come Mm -hmm. to mind. Um, There is an emphasis on winning at the American League level so that when those guys make those leaps to the National Hockey League level, they're that much further along because they played big games in right. the American League in the Calder Cup playoffs and guys able to jump in at the Stanley Cup playoff level and produce. And you could go up and down the Lightnings list the last two years and you'll see a litany of guys that played uh, for that incredible Norfolk Admirals team, for example, that won, I believe, 32 in a row and route to a Calder Cup championship. That entire team was pretty much loaded with guys who either won Stanley Cups with Tampa Bay mm-hmm. or still are winning Stanley Cups with Tampa Bay. So yeah. I think St. Louis kind of saw that and they see the importance of having a really strong AHL development team only helps the big club down the road. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So before I get into too much here, like about the team here itself, you know, I just want to thank you here. Um, just again, so much for what you're doing here with the Thunderbirds and, um, just congratulate you, you know, on getting able to call some of an NHL game when the blues were up in Boston, you know, go to hear you here along with, uh, with curbs and, you know, take us through that. Like, what was that like? Well, uh, I tell people it was a, a complete whirlwind because I had no clue, no clue that anything like that was even on the radar. Yeah. Uh, I had seen guys in my position get their chance to call some NHL games, but I knew the reality of our situation. Uh, a lot of the guys who got to call NHL games from the AHL level were located close to the NHL affiliates. So mm-hmm. if there was a COVID situation, it was a much easier chance to slide it. I knew that with us being here and the Blues being in St. Louis, that wasn't exactly a realistic thing. So I didn't even have it in my brain. Uh, I wake up on a Monday morning. We had just gotten back from a three and three weekend. Uh, we had just played two games in Hershey, and the ride from Hershey, Pennsylvania, back here to Springfield is about five, five and a half hours. So okay. I had rolled into my house and gone to bed at, God, it must have been probably three thirty, four in the morning, and I, I slept until probably ten, ten thirty. My phone rings at eleven, eleven fifteen, and it's Curbs, and I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I know the Blues are in Boston. Maybe he's looking to have me on for pregame or wants to do a little check in on the T-Birds as part of. Uh, what they're doing since they're in town. They know that we're going to be going to the game as an office staff. So uh, none of it really clicked in with my brain until five minutes into the phone call. He says, yeah, and I want to hand the keys to the uh, broadcast over to you for the second period on, uh, on Tuesday night here in Boston. And I was like, and for about 30, 45 seconds, I don't think I 
said much of anything. It was probably incoherent dribble at that point. And I remember, I simply remember I had to actually stop myself mid babbling and say, yes, by the way, because I had forgotten to, you know, respond to yeah. the question that he posed to me in the first place. So uh, from there I had about, God, 30, 32 hours to, uh, to put together prep. And uh, yeah. the next day and a half was a complete and total blur. Uh, I turned my phone off and threw it in my backpack when the, uh, when the game began. And I turned it back on when I got done with the second period and had, God, it was probably about 50 text messages, probably about, 35 notifications on social media and my phone didn't stop blowing up for probably about a day and a half. And uh, you always wonder in this situation, how many people really are paying attention to this sort of thing. It happened so quickly. I barely had any time to tell anybody it was happening, but uh, in no time, the, the support and the love I felt, especially from the folks in St. Louis was uh, like nothing I could have possibly imagined. And uh, you guys have, I already knew you guys had one of the best fan bases in hockey. Uh, they're not an original six team, but they're part of that second six. And right. it, it's no question their, uh, their fan base is as dedicated as any in the entire league. And I felt that love and support from them really from the moment it all began. And Curves being a guy who spent some time in the AHL here in Springfield, mm-hmm. uh, the parallels were just so, were so cool to see. And it's something that, I've thanked Curbs about 15 times since it happened, and I <laughs> still tell him I, I, I can't say it enough for it to actually be enough. Absolutely. He's just such a world-class guy. He was um, – the game that the Blues were – game seven. They're getting ready to win the Cup. I, I have listened to Curbs my entire life. You know, he he's just such a world-class guy. And it was my dad who actually got me into watching hockey and listening to him and listening to the radio. And for the final three minutes of that game, I had curbs on because I knew I needed to hear his call. Absolutely needed. And it gets me, it gets me choked up. Like whenever I hear his call of, you know, get on your feet, you know, they did it, you know, just, um, like I'm getting choked up here now, just like, just yeah. reliving it here at this point. So, um, so that's, that's great. You know, just congratulations here again, just on that, that wonderful, wonderful experience here. So um, let's talk here, current season. So for those who do not follow the Springfield Thunderbirds, you know, the, this team has done a remarkable job here this season. They were 20.3% here on the power play during the regular season, best in the Atlantic division. However, their penalty kill wasn't nearly as, as good at 78.3% worst in the Atlantic division. So specifically during this postseason, you know, I wanted to be able to, sp- um, to focus on the penalty kill because it is really stepping up during this postseason at 86.4%. Is there something different that you're seeing that they're doing that's attributing to the success? Are they just hitting some good luck? I think, I mean, every, every penalty kill when it has its, uh, when it has its best work going for itself, there is a degree of luck to some extent that you're going to need a post here or there. You're going to need a big save from your netminder after mm-hmm. a breakdown in coverage. Uh, those are all things that are bound to happen. But I think if you look at the way the T-Birds finished the regular season, uh, really from early April on, the penalty kill was a strength for the mm-hmm. remainder of the regular season. And 
what those numbers that 78% doesn't tell you is that they were stuck under 77% for the longest time. But over the last two, three weeks of the season, uh, they went a long stretch of time allowing no power play goals in a game or only one power play goal in a game for really much of the final three weeks of the regular season. I think they finished the year something like 84, 85% in the last dozen games or so. And they've turned that into a postseason penalty kill. It's just picked up right where they've left off. And they, it certainly helps that they have their fresh complement of penalty killers back in the fold. When you are able to trot out Mackenzie McEachern, uh, Dakota Joshua, Matthew Packa, guys who have killed penalties mm-hmm. in the NHL and the AHL before. Uh, you have a veteran and Tommy Cross on the back line who helps to just sort of keep everything poised and calm. And when you get the goaltending that you're getting from Joel Hofer and Charlie Lindgren, both, uh, all those things go together. And couple all of that with the fact that it's a group that can score and be explosive while shorthanded. And you have kind of a three-headed monster of things that are working in your favor in that way. Right. And certainly, while the penalty kill was a concern for much of the regular season, heading into the playoffs, it wasn't really a concern for me because I saw the way they finished the season down the stretch. I knew that if they could carry that over to begin the postseason, uh, they were capable of pretty special things. And the special teams, as as we could see, uh, a monster, monster reason why the T-Birds are where they are. Yeah, yeah. And Honestly, from the way I'm looking here at it, this postseason, special teams could actually really dictate this series here going forward. You know, Laval's got a 6-2 and two record here this postseason, 27.6% on the power play, and 864 here on the penalty kill here as well. And so these two teams are pretty evenly matched going into these finals. Yeah, and it goes to show you the teams that are opportunistic are the ones that normally are still standing at this time of year. And uh, no question the T-Birds and the Rocket have made their opponents pay for mistakes over the course of this postseason. Uh, The Rocket are a team that what stands out to me the most about them is the fact that they just are hard to put away. And the Rochester Americans learned that the hard way in the end of their series Rochester takes a two-goal lead in the first period on home ice in game three, and you're thinking, okay, they're going to make this a series again. They're going to get this down to 2-1. Rock can come back and score four unanswered in the second period. Rochester then comes back and retakes the lead in the third, scoring three in a row, and you're thinking, okay, Laval probably is not feeling good about that happening. Maybe now they've run out of bullets in this night. They come back and get a tying goal with their goaltender pulled with less than two minutes left. It's just they're like the – they're like they're like the uh, pesky pesky insects that you just can't get rid of on a hot day in the summer there's just nothing you can you could try you get swat at them you think you can knock them down you think they're gone you think you're in the clear and then they just keep on crawling back and they just keep finding ways to be a pain in your side and i think that's what the t-birds are going to have to deal with this series that and it's not to say that wilkes and charlotte were were not good teams because they absolutely were but the Rocket have shown more than the teams that the Teepers have faced to this point that they're going to be a much, much tougher team to really knock out in a given game. And obviously over the course of a seven-game series, I don't see the likelihood of being altogether high for a third straight sweep as much as people would love to see it. And I would love to see it. I just – I think the law of averages coupled with how well Laval has played, I just don't see that being a thing this round. No, and it's it's gonna like I said, it's gonna be a tough challenge here for for both teams here. I think you know um, the thing that I do like that the Thunderbirds have is I believe that they have more depth heading to their advantage here than what the Rocket here do. That is just a completely 
unbiased opinion, just looking from the outside on in, it does look like the Thunderbirds have just the depth working to their advantage. You know, like you said, they've got guys like Mackenzie McEachern, Dakota Joshua. You know, these guys have NHL experience here going in. And McEachern, you know, he's got a cup. Um, James Neal, he's got two cups here at this point. Just Not to, quite. Just... Two appearances in the final. That's what it was. No cups. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I mean, so he's, I'm he's sure, got a I'm ton. sure he'd love me bringing that up to him. So. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so they've definitely got a ton of veteran experience and a ton of veteran leadership that can really be able to help them going here into these finals. So, you know, it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, is there anything in particular that these fans should know about anything else here that we haven't discussed here just going into the series so far? Well, I think if, Folks in St. Louis want to get their uh, their eyeballs on what the uh, potential future of the organization may look like. Uh, this team here in Springfield uh, should have Blues fans feeling pretty darn good about their future, especially on the defensive side of the puck. And I know that that's an area that at times this year was kind of the bugaboo for the Blues this season mm-hmm. with all their injuries on the blue line, especially in the postseason mm-hmm. and the up and down play of both goaltenders over the course of the season. Uh, if you have a chance to watch Joel Hofer play, uh, this is the time to do it because uh, Joel has really taken what was a great start to his season, then a little bit of a rocky middle in his first mm-hmm. full pro year. But the growth that we have been able to see from him from pretty much the month of January on has been so substantial. And his play in the postseason should have Blues fans feeling very excited uh, about what the future of the net mining position might be for them. And the luxury that the Blues have uh, with Jordan Bennington still under contract and a decision to be made with uh, Lindgren or Huso as it pertains to uh, who could be the number two uh, behind Bennington, uh, it allows the Blues and the T-Birds to not have to rush Joel Hofer. And yeah. it was great. It was great for Hope to get his first NHL crack early in the season and get his first win and his first start. Uh, Certainly something he won't forget, but I think that was more so an out of necessity uh, thing that happened at that time of year with the uh, injuries and the COVID situations with Huso at the time. So uh, just what stands out about Joel Hofer's game, you see his size and it's hard to miss. When you're 6'5 and close to 200 pounds in net, uh, you take up a lot of net. And he's really athletic in his movements and he's really economical in his movements. Uh, I say that in the sense that he'll rarely make a save where he'll they'll have a lot of movement or he'll be flashing a glove and diving post to post to do something. Kind of reminds me, I'm not going to make this comparison yet. It's far too early in his career to do it, but it kind of reminds you of a prime carry price when, okay. when he's on it, when he's on his game, it almost looks like he doesn't have to work hard to make saves because Again, the push-offs from post to post, the angles that you're taking to cut down on shooters' angles are fantastic. And yeah. over, over the course of the last month or two especially, he's been a brick wall on the back line, and there's no other way to put it. When you have a 962 in your first four pro playoff starts, right. uh, I, don't care, I don't care that it's only four starts. That is, that is a sign that you have the it factor that you're looking for for a goaltender in a postseason situation. And I know the AHL is not the National Hockey League, but so, so many Stanley Cup winning goaltenders have begun their careers with deep runs in the American Hockey League. 
And I think that alone is something Blues fans should be very excited to see in the way Joel Hofer plays and in the way some of the blue liners here have played. I mean, you got to see Callie Rosen for extended sequences this season with all the injuries and the COVID situations and whatever he was asked to fill in in St. Louis, he did so admirably under sometimes good. far from far from the best circumstances. Uh, I'm still amazed to this day how Callie Rosen did not get drafted. I watched the way he plays the game and it just, it boggles my mind that he was passed on in the NHL draft twice. I just, I, I don't see how that was possible at all. He skates like the wind. He's so smooth in the way he plays the game. His his passing out of the D zone is phenomenal. And I think I think if he gets a chance to have longer looks in St. Louis, now that he's just signed his extension, right. uh, he's someone that I think the Blues look at as being that quote-unquote number seven in the system that you know that you have someone reliable that you can call upon if need be. And that is a, as any head coach would attest, a huge, huge luxury and a huge point of calm for you on the bench to know that uh, you could slide somebody into the lineup and you could still ask them to take care of 15 to 18 minutes of game action and not be a liability on your own side of the ice. And uh, between Rosen, Tyler Tucker's had himself another good season as a young guy on the blue line, a more physical player. between Tucker, Rosen, and Hofer, I think those are the three that when people ask who are Blues guys who could legitimately be making an impact in St. Louis in the future, I think those are the three that uh, come to mind of the quote-unquote younger group. I don't know Rosen's not that young anymore, but uh, Tucker and Hofer certainly fit the bill. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, and you know, I, I heard the comparison, and it really looked – very, very true and very accurate that Rosen actually reminds um, me a lot of a Carl Gunnarsson type where he is not a flashy player. He is a very just reliable person in his own zone. He can be able to transition well. He's still got a shot here to him, but he just plays the game really, really well. And for some of those guys, if you don't make a comment here about them most of the game, they're just getting out there and just doing their job. They did their job at that point. Yeah, because... how many times do you need to be able to say a guy's name like, oh, you know, he turned the puck over here or, oh, he made this bad play at that point? No, you want to be able to have the guy back there who can just get the puck out, transition here up, and let the forwards here take care of business. You know, don't yeah, really be gener- able- Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, generally speaking, if, if, you're, not, uh, if you're not Justin Falk uh, in terms of the St. Louis defenseman, yeah. uh, chances are if your name is being called multiple times in a game, it's probably problematic. Right. Uh, right. And I think more than any other position, that is one that you want to just sort of uh, blend into the flow of a game. And it's so much of the blue line position, as you know from watching the game, is it's so system driven. And so if you're reliable in the confines and the parameters of your team's strategy, your team's system, uh, that makes you a reliable commodity uh, more so than being a flashy offensive blue liner. And I know that's the thing everyone looks for on the back end these days, but the reality is very few teams at the national hockey league level are going to have more than one or two guys who are dynamic offensive defensemen. Uh, You take away Colorado and Tampa Bay and you, you're going to have a hard time finding teams that have more than one or two guys who fit that bill. And so uh, certainly, certainly I, I see Callie Rosen 
as somebody who is exactly like you said, someone that like Carl Gutterson is somebody that is reliable when called upon, not going to necessarily quote unquote win a game for you offensively, but he's also not going to uh, be someone who you look back and say uh, his play was a detriment to us. I just, right. Yeah. And the, the blues are very fortunate right now to have three guys here to just come off the top of my head, you know, between Scott Prunovich, Tory Krug, and Justin Falk, you know, and we can even throw um, Colton Pareko in there whenever he does want, you know, get a good stretch of games here offensively going. They're very fortunate with some of the offensive minded defensemen that are currently within their NHL system itself. So, um, you know, this, this team is, is doing really, really well for itself. And it's just a matter of finding the guys that can do a play a good two-way game or even just a very good defensive game here right now. And I think that's the biggest puzzle for Doug Armstrong going into this offseason here itself. So um, so now that we know Springfield here is going to be part of the next four seasons, you know, they're part of the Blues family here going in. Let's take a brief look here, um, here about four or five prospects. We've already touched a lot here on Joel Hofer. So I don't think there's much more that we can be able to end up saying here about him. Um, Sam Annis, he is a man possessed this postseason. Four goals, 13 points over six games. He is leading the charge for the Thunderbirds. He's a guy that's bounced around a lot in the AHL, mostly just within the Minnesota Wild system. He's getting up there in age here right now. I mean, at least relatively speaking for a hockey player, do you see much of a future for him going into the NHL or is he just destined to be not quite an NHL player, not quite, you know, an AHL player. I mean, he's kind of that quadruple a type player, you know, in, in baseball terms, you know, he, he's better than the triple a, but he's not quite there and can't really break that ceiling. I'll, I'll be honest, and I think part of it is my own personal bias because Sammy is one of the absolute best people uh, that you'll ever meet in this game. Uh, the way he carries himself and the way he goes about uh, his own game and the way he approaches the game itself. He won the AHL's Fred Hunt Memorial Award, which is, uh, I call it the AHL's equivalent of the Lady Bang Trophy. Okay, uh, So it's clearly... He's a guy who is insanely well-respected by his peers. Uh, you won't hear a single former teammate of Sam Anderson say anything but uh, the highest praise about him. I'll be honest, I have zero clue, zero, how he has never played an NHL game. I've watched him for a full season. I've seen a number of his highlight tapes from his Minnesota days, from his Quinnipiac days. Mm-hmm. And people are quick to say he's too small. Well, the too small thing clearly was not a factor with guys like Marty St. Louis, Nathan Gerby. You can go up and down the list. And you don't even have to be a Marty St. Louis level Hall of Fame type player to make it to the NHL level. Nathan Gerby is a perfect example that fits that bill in that way. Well, you saw what Nathan Walker did too in his time. Exactly. Exactly. And Nathan Walker is Sam Annis plus a couple pounds. Uh, that's, That's basically the difference between those two. They... I think the only thing, if, if there's one thing that maybe, maybe holding Sam back a little bit, it's that he's so offensive-minded as a player that he is not quite as polished defensively in his own zone. Okay. I don't. I I think, I think if Sam got a shot in the NHL in a bottom six situation 
I fully believe that given his work ethic, given his abilities, how smart he is with the puck, especially when he has bigger players around him, he's great at finding his way out of tight situations. I, I have no reason to believe that he could not adjust his game to be able to fill a bottom six role in the National Hockey League. That's just my personal stance on it. I think where Minnesota and St. Louis have had trouble making him a call-up, so to speak, is the fact that you don't want to have a guy who has the offensive upside that Sam Annis does, and you don't want to put him in a situation where he's only playing eight, nine minutes a night right. on, in, a, in a third, fourth line situation. I think that's, honestly, I think that's the only thing that has kind of kept him from getting that chance in the NHL. But I've asked him a number of times, how do you, how do you keep your mindset positive, even though uh, it'd be very easy to be bitter about not getting your chance in the NHL? And he's just so appreciative to just be able to play the game as part of his career. And it's like, we forget these guys are getting to do the thing they love for their careers. And I think, I think so much gets made of guys who are so focused on wanting to be in the NHL because they feel they deserve it. Whereas Sam plays the game with an outward and obvious love of the game. And it, emanates in everything that he does and you see it when he's on the ice and you see it with his line mates and you see it with the way he is appreciated by his team and I think all of those things make him completely uh irreplaceable on this team so without question irreplaceable if the T-Birds if the T-Birds were to be without Sam Annis tomorrow uh that would spell I wouldn't say doom for them in a playoff series because they obviously have a lot of guys who are contributing to this success, but it would be a huge blow, not just for what he does offensively, but for what he brings intangibly to this group. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's been really good. And I think with the all but likely departure here of Tyler Bozak, you know, the, the blues I think are going to need to restructure that bottom six. You know, they've got a lot of moving pieces, especially with the limited cap space that they have. And I think a guy like Sam Annis could be able to play a good role here moving into that with a smaller cap hit here at this point. So um, Nikita Alexandrov, two goals, six points in six games this postseason. He has looked really good. You know, I haven't been able to catch a lot of um, the Thunderbirds games live, but watching those recap games, he is certainly playing at a higher level this postseason than his half point per pace regular season here would dictate. He's a guy, in my opinion, that he could contend for an NHL spot in a year, maybe two. Um, what do you think that you're seeing here out of Alexandrov? And I'll even throw in, is there any sort of a comparison that you could make of a, somebody who's playing in the NHL here right now? I'll throw you that little curveball. Hmm. I'll have to... I'll have to get my first answer and see if a name comes to mind on the uh, comparables. But with Nikita, a lot like Joel Hofer, a first full pro season, uh, bright spot early on. And Nikita Alexander, the first two, three weeks of the season, everything he was touching was turning to gold. Yeah. Uh, Was a power play force early in the season. Uh, Had really made himself an offensive weapon. Then after the first month or two pro, then he started to hit a little bit of that uh, that roadblock that a lot of guys playing their first season in the AHL, the first full season in the AHL, will hit. And for a long stretch of time there in the middle of the season, it was tough sledding for Nikita. And it was 
it, it was you could tell he was he was doing everything in his power to snap himself out of it. You 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 left each game saying to yourself, God, if he could just get one to go for himself, if he yeah. can get one to go for himself, he's going to take off. And I had that sense with Nikita for most of the year. And sure enough, we get to late January into February and something clicked. Something there clicked in with Nikita in the second half of the season. And for the last two months of the regular year and into the postseason, he has completely turned into uh, bar none one of the most important players for this team and he has done it in a number of different ways people know his offensive upside uh, that's why he was drafted in the second round you don't get drafted that high if you don't have the offensive ability and the upside to your game but where he has really stood out has been in his willingness to accept defensive responsibilities especially killing penalties Mm-hmm. And when you need a key shot block late in the game, so many times it's Nikita who's laying it all out there. A guy who a year and a half ago playing in juniors, I mean, I didn't study his junior game, so I have no way of knowing if he killed penalties playing juniors or not. Uh, but he looks like someone who's been doing it his entire uh, young adult life. Yeah. He is one of the biggest reasons the T-Birds penalty kill has turned itself around. He has molded his game in a way that sort of like what you talked about with Tyler Bozak likely being gone at the end of this year. I think Nikita Alexandrov is a guy that very easily could be contending for that fourth line center role in St. Louis come the fall because, Mm -hmm. and again, for all the reasons I mentioned that Sam did not get that look in the national hockey league. I think it's all the more reason that Nikita might get that look because he is killing penalties he is getting defensive zone responsibilities and he's rounding his game at still just 21 years of age right. uh, into a way that he is becoming a trustworthy option, even as a rookie for Drew Bannister. And I see that as a situation, put him and Alexi Toropchenko together in a situation like that. And uh, it's two guys that obviously are both Russian. They both have, they both have offensive upside to their game. Torpo and Nikita obviously are a little bit different in how they play the game. Torpo mm-hmm. more of a straight line speed guy and Nikita a little more crafty and not as big, obviously, as Torpo is. Uh, I think that's a, that's a neat little two-headed uh, Russian monster you could have in the bottom six in St. Louis. Now Pair that with the be... two-headed monster here up top here as well <laughs> between Tarasenko yeah. and Buchnevich. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. They're going to have the entire – they're going to have the embassy ready to uh, – ready to call them over for the world championships (laughs) at some point here. But I think those two, I think those two are a great case in point of uh, when you mold your game into more of a two way structured game that Craig Berube asks for his forwards, especially those in the bottom six. I think what Nikita has shown is that he certainly can be relied upon if that situation presents itself, will they think he's ready this fall? I don't know. Like you said, I, I could see it be as early as next season. I could see them wanting to have one more year in the AHL, maybe have one more year to really dominate at the American league level right. uh, before you get yourself ready to uh, take that next step. I see no reason why Nikita couldn't dominate at the AHL level though next season. Yeah. And a guy who I think that they may be looking a little bit more towards coming up next season, as opposed to Alexandrov, here's the next guy, Clem Costin. 
he is a guy who is again performing a lot better during the postseason he had there was a shot here during i think it was game three that just was deflected um it was deflected rang off the pipe and was something i mean he is looking real good between the four check here his offensive presence two goals five points here over six games he was sent down to the thunderbirds during the regular season he was subject to, I believe, being a healthy scratch during the year here at times two, if, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he's a guy that I personally don't believe that the Blues should have taken in the first round. He needs to be able to step up his physical presence, his ability to be able to be more responsible in the defensive zone. What do you think has led to some of his ability to perform better here in the, in the postseason? And what do you think also is, is another thing that needs to be able to change and maintain for him to maintain a role in the NHL? I think what's so easy to forget with Klim is the fact that, yeah, he's been in the system now three, maybe four seasons already. He's still only 22 years old. People right. forget he came over to North America when he was still 18. Mm-hmm. And playing in the AHL at 18, 19 years old, uh, you'll see a list of probably fewer than 10 names that have ever been impact guys in the American Hockey League at that age because mm-hmm. it is just, it is such a hard transition for guys, especially those coming over from Europe. It's right. a big enough transition going from the European game on the wider ring to the North American game. That's a tough enough transition as it is for so many of these guys. With Klim now, though, I think he kind of, and I mean, I can't speak for Klim, He's very mild-mannered and soft-spoken and really just goes about his business. He's not like Torpo, who is uh, smiling and grinning ear-to-ear, ear ear and yeah. his mouth is uh, going 100 miles an hour everywhere he goes. Uh, they just carry themselves a little bit differently. Uh, the thing with Klim that I noticed since he has been back down with Springfield is I'm not sure if there was uh, some animosity for him in terms of his send-down to Springfield. Mm-hmm. If he took it as a challenge to to come to Springfield and and say, I got to show these guys that they made a mistake in sending me down, if that was the way he tackled this, uh, tackled the situation when he arrived here in Springfield, then all the power to him. Because right. since the playoffs began, to your point, we've seen a different Clem Costin. Mm-hmm. And he's a guy that he's always been big. He's 6'3", probably 215, 220. Mm -hmm. When he fully learns and embraces using his frame, and not to mention, he can absolutely zip around the ice for his size. If he can combine that speed with using his body to get himself into positions offensively and defensively, for that matter, there is no reason that he can't be in the bottom six in St. Louis, the way I think they imagined he would be this entire season. And I think it was kind of a, maybe more or less a wake-up call for Klim, so to speak, this mm-hmm. year. To spend as much time in St. Louis as he did, maybe maybe in his mind. I mean, when you're 21, 22 years old, it's easy to, it's easy to think, okay, I'm, I'm here. I've made it. Right. I, my spot is secure. And maybe this was just a tactic from Doug and from Kevin McDonald to really show Clem, Hey, we know there's another level to you. You need Mm -hmm. to show it to us. And again, if that was the challenge that was presented to Clem, 
Uh, kudos to him because in these playoffs, he went from having a mediocre for his standards regular season to really, really becoming noticeable in this postseason. So much so that he supplanted James Neal in the top line with Sam Annis and Matthew Pekka in the middle of the first round. And since he has been with Sam and with Matt in round two, uh, that trio has been uh, next to unstoppable. Uh, and five-on-five power play, they have just been a machine offensively. And when you have the ability as a luxury to move James Neal in your lineup to allow Clem Costin to skate with your top centerman and your top winger, not a bad not a bad situation to have. Right. Goes back all the way to the depth, you know, that we were talking about here. That's going to hopefully, you know, the prove fruitful here for them here in this final. So um, one more player here for you. Brady Lyle came over here in the trade from the Boston Bruins. And it seems like Bruins fans were excited for him. You know, he scored 14 points in 25 games during his 2020-21 season. Quickly cut bait here with him after struggling to score only two goals, nine points over 48 games with a minus seven rating. He ends the season with the Thunderbirds, seven points in 15 games, and now he's in the postseason and he's got one goal, four points in four games. You mentioned here as well, I'm going to steal. He has a boom of a shot here coming here from him. And he does struggle a little bit defensively. And I think that may be like one of his biggest knocks and things that's potentially keeping him up going here to the NHL level here right now. But where, what are you seeing out of him at the AHL level? And like, where do you think his ceiling is? Is he a depth guy? Is he a guy who could be potentially in the, in the top four pairings here and, and running a power play unit? I mean, like, what are, you, what are you seeing here out of a guy like Lyle? Well, all I know is when, when the Providence Bruins were so willing to uh, move on from Brady Lyle, it was, it was a thank you very much, right. Bruins for this because Brady Lyle has provided for the T-Birds exactly the thing they've been missing all season. And that is a right-handed bomb from the point. And Mm -hmm. when you have that to go along with already plenty of offensive ability from the left-hand side of your blue line with Callie Rosen and Tommy Cross, when you have that to go along with it, it just makes you all the more formidable. Well, Yes, I agree with you that I think there there are strides that Brady will need to take defensively in order to uh, kind of take that next step mm-hmm. towards being an NHL guy. I'm not sure what his ceiling is just yet, and he's still a really young guy too. I believe right. he's just 22 years old as well. So, uh, And we get caught up these days. We've seen so many more teenagers, especially on the blue line, mm-hmm. uh, make their way to the NHL. And I think it's kind of muddied our – thought process on how fast a defenseman's development has to be because the reality is you're not going to strike gold with a Campbell McCart type prospect. That's a once oh, no. in a, that's a once in a decade type of hit that I think the first three teams in that draft are all smacking themselves upside the head. That they missed, mm-hmm. but with, with Brady, he certainly has the foot speed and the skating ability to be an NHL guy. He yeah. certainly has, he has the shot to be an offensive guy at the next level. I don't think he's as far off defensively as people seem to think. And I think him being paired with Tommy Cross during the COVID year with Providence and here in Springfield as well, those numbers you mentioned 
a lot of Brady Lyle's best point production as a pro has been with the tutelage of Tommy Cross there with him on his opposite point. And I think that's been just a huge, huge weight off of Brady's back to a be in a situation where he knows he'll be in the lineup night in and night out in mm-hmm. Providence. They had an influx of defensemen. They at one time had a dozen defensemen just on their roster during the regular season. And I'm not talking about guys down on conditioning situations. I'm talking about 12 guys legitimately on their roster at the blue line position. And so he was in a lockjam. And yeah. for whatever for whatever reason, Providence valued other guys over him. I, I'm i perplexed as to why, uh, given mm-hmm. what I've seen from some of those other guys versus what I've seen from Brady Lyle. I always liked what I saw from Brady, even when he was a member of the Bruins. And yeah. so uh, when I saw that the Blues slash T-Birds were able to get him for literally just future considerations, which many of those moves end up being uh, sheer nothing trades where you just get the guy. Yeah. Uh, T-Birds could not have asked for a better situation. And Brady missed games two and three of the Penguin series. And the T-Birds ended up sweeping that series. But when he came back for the Charlotte series, you immediately saw what made him a reliable and key piece to this blue line. And, and it all goes back to having a right-handed offensive option from your blue line. Again, that's kind of the it thing that NHL coaches love to have. And you always dream that you have yourself uh, a Kale McCarr or going back 10, 15 years, a Mike Green in his prime. Ooh, yeah. uh, it's kind of it's kind of the sought-after commodity, so to speak. And yeah. uh, do I think Brady Lyle is Kale McCarr or Mike Green? No, I'm not necessarily saying that, but I think he's someone that certainly can be top two or four in the AHL in his ceiling. And I believe he does have the ability to be a depth guy in the NHL, provided he is able to continue making strides on the defensive side of the puck. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, Ryan, I just want to thank you here so much again for taking the time to be able to discuss here with us. Um, can the fans be able to find you somewhere here on Twitter, Instagram, MySpace going all the way back? Oh, well, <laughs> thank, thankfully, no, on the latter. But uh, at Ryan Smith Hockey on Twitter, uh, you'll see me uh, tweeting sometimes about non-hockey madness. You can see my wordle successes and all that fun stuff. But uh, I'll try to keep everyone up to date on uh, the T-Birds as this run hopefully carries us to the end of June and hopefully uh, brings another championship to the Blues organization uh, before long. And I would have to go back into the uh, memory bank to see when and if the last time the Blues AHL affiliate had a Calder Cup, I feel like I should probably know that off the top of my head, but guilty, I don't. Yeah, at this exact moment in time, but uh, no time like the present. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, and I'm definitely going to encourage fans if they can be able to catch it. The conference finals here will be starting here on Saturday the 4th. I believe puck drop here for Central Standard Time will at least be 6.35 p.m. I believe it's 7.35 here for you all. So uh, to my guest, Ryan, I mean, again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you here so much for being able to join us. Um, I definitely look forward to discussing more T-Birds, just updates. And like you said, be able to bring a championship back here to um, here, definitely to Massachusetts, but, you know, here to the Blues organization here in itself. So, again, just as a reminder here to the fans, if you like what we're doing, subscribe, share the podcast here with your friends. Enjoy the rest of your day and we will catch you here next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. 
Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.